This is episode 195 with 219 Marathoner, publisher of the Positive Split newsletter, and my former college competitor, Mr. Peter Bromka. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to will give you a behind-the-scenes look at what happened when Desiree Linden broke the 50K world record. Peter Bromka helped pace a pro to an Olympic qualifying marathon at the same time that Des Linden broke three hours for the 50K and set a new world record. We're going to talk more about suffering, about pacing duties, and what it was like to get only 22 hours notice before racing a marathon. Before we start, I want to make sure we're all following the same training plan. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, mindsets, and tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos on form drills, how to stay healthy and run with better form, strength workouts, coaching lessons, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And we now have a brand new site, so please visit us and let me know what you think. I would love your feedback. Also, our sponsor, Elemental Labs, helped make this episode possible. They make high-sodium electrolytes to help manage your hydration needs. And they have released an all-new flavor just in time for summer, watermelon salt. It's delicious, it encourages me to drink more fluids, and I honestly just feel better when I have more electrolytes after my runs, especially in the heat, and especially if I'm running for about an hour or more. And it also happens to be their number one most requested flavor. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You can check out all the details and get your hydration needs dialed in for this summer season. Okay, my guest today is a former podcast guest making his second appearance, a competitor from my college days, who, in all honesty, was way faster than I was, Mr. Peter Bromka. Peter was a very competitive runner for Tufts University, running 15-16 for 5K, who ended up running his first marathon post-collegiately in 2.56. Well, that started a love affair with a marathon, and over the years, he's gradually, and sometimes explosively, lowered his best to a staggering 2.19.03. Now, the Olympic trials qualifying mark is 2.19 flat, making Peter one of the fastest runners in the country to not make the trials. Now, he joins me today to talk about a very unique experience that he was fortunate to have a few weeks ago, pacing Shireen Najim to a 2.36 marathon PR and Olympic mark on the same course at the same time as Desiree Linden broke three hours in the 50K ultra distance and set a new world record time. We're nerding out on how this opportunity came to Peter, the nuances of pacing at the elite level, why even sub-maximal marathons are so hard, and how you can hang out with both Peter and I this summer at a running retreat in Boulder called Endeavor Run. You can actually go to EndeavorRun.com to learn more about the retreat, and if you are committed, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save $100 on your registration. Without further delay, please enjoy this unique conversation with Mr. Peter Bronca. Peter, thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to to hang out with you for a little while and, and hear about your new job as a professional pacer. <laughs> thanks you so much. Yeah, happy to be back. Um, it's been a couple of years, but it's been a lot of fun and happy to dive into the details of this most recent experience. Yeah, you had quite the experience. And, and I just want to start from the beginning and talk more about how this whole thing came about for you uh, it, maybe you could just start at the top. What exactly did you do a couple weeks ago? Okay. So I am 
a runner in Portland, Oregon, and have been here for decades. So I know a lot of people and was aware also as a fan of running uh, of a couple things that were coming up, but I actually didn't know when they were happening or where they were happening exactly. So uh, Ian Dobson, who is um, like a former Olympian, he's an, sorry, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. He's now the race director for the Eugene Marathon. And during the pandemic, he set up a course on um, a bike path in central or, or sort of center of the state uh, down outside Eugene. Um, and so they've run some fast half marathons there. Um, and so months ago, Des Linden said she was going to try to go for the 50K world record. Um, which was 307 at the time, I believe. Um, and that was super exciting to hear. I didn't know anything about it, just like everyone, uh, that it was coming up. And she didn't announce where it was going to happen or when it was going to happen. But then she did a huge workout. Um, she did a marathon length workout that had a couple five mile surges in there that were flying along. She ended up running like something like a 236 marathon, just like on her own out in Arizona. Um, and I looked at that workout again, not knowing any details about when she was going to go for this world record and said like, well, that's like, if it was about three or four weeks out is when I would do my biggest like sort of test workout, um, to be able to recover from it. And I had heard through the grapevine that some women, who are from other countries and can still qualify for the Olympics because they don't have the same qualifying process. Um, we're going to try to run a quick marathon down on that course that Ian had put together last year. And that was going to happen uh, a couple weeks ago now. And so I said, oh, there's a chance that Des is going to use the same event. If you call it an event, it's like during COVID times, very small, very safe. Um, and, but I didn't, again, know anything, just, I just fallen closely online. And then it became clear, I think she actually went, went to Eugene and she, because she posts everything on Strava and she's awesome. She, uh, did some one or two runs in Eugene and, you know, the internet world that was following closely was like, oh, this is awesome. Des is going to go for the 50 K world record on a Tuesday. Um, and this will be great. And she had done a nice job of letting people in on the details that she could share, like that it was coming up and she was going to go for it. Um, all the while I know that I knew that two of my friends were going to help these elite women pace to try to qualify for the Olympics and not to spend too much time on it, but the, the qualification process for the Olympics nowadays for marathons got very complex. The time used to be two forty-five, and now they made it both, 229.30 for auto qualifying, but also there's a convoluted points process that I don't totally understand. Um, all in an attempt for the Olympics to a little bit redistribute headcount of athletes, different events. There's all sorts of new things they're trying to incorporate. Um, so all we knew, my teammates knew, is they're going to go down and try to help two different women run very fast. And that would put them in good position to try to qualify for Tokyo. Um, and then it became clear a few days out, oh, this is going to be the same event that Des is going to be going for her record. Um, and so I was not involved. My teammates were involved, um, but I expressed to them my excitement for this, you know, as a running fan for this event coming up. Um, and then I was actually getting on a call on Monday, the day before this event, and I got a text from them like, hey, man, want to run a marathon tomorrow? <laughs> and I burst out laughing and thought, oh man, I, it's like, you know, the type of thing that you're totally surprised by, but not that surprised. Cause you're like, why? Of course it would happen like this. Um, so that's how it, the backstory on how I got to be involved in an event with like 22 hours notice. I cannot imagine getting a phone call saying, would you like to run a marathon tomorrow? Especially as someone who would put so much planning and thought into any marathon that they run, now all of a sudden, you're not tapering. You probably ran a pseudo long run a couple days before. Uh, how are you feeling going into this marathon? And you know what were the pace expectations for you? Were you, were you trying to run 
close to your PR? Were you trying to run much slower? What kind of an effort was it for you? It's a great question. Um, because of the COVID year, I hadn't run a marathon in over a year. And so just had some of that stuff had felt like quite in the rear view. And we'll sometimes say to each other, like when you're doing a marathon training block, the long runs are always long. You know, you try to yo-yo it, but so you don't burn yourself out, but um, you just get used to this grind. And then you get out of that bubble and you're like, man, you realize that like every weekend we sometimes run like 22, 23 miles. That's nuts. Like, you know, it's just, um, so it had been a while um, since I'd gone true marathon pace. Like my marathon pace is about 520s. Um, I had though been determined this winter to get back in shape uh, to at least put myself in position to say run Boston this fall. So I had started to stretch out my long runs. And then I said, I texted the guys back and I said, you know, I'd love to help in any way possible. Let me know what you need. Um, I'm going to go work on getting a COVID test so that I can comply with the events requirements. And then I'll throw stuff in a, I'll throw a bunch of racer, racing shoes in a bag and I'll come down to Eugene. Um, so that's what I did. And when I got down there, I said, what do you need? And they said, well, we have one woman, uh, Audie Nelson, who is from your area. Um, and she is a real champ runner and she was going to go head out at two twenty nine thirty pace. And I said, okay. Um, doing some mental math of what I could help with that way. Um, would have been happy to help her as much as I could have, but wasn't totally sure again, without a taper that is five forty one pace. Um, and I was less confident that I could give her maybe as many miles as she was hoping at that pace. This, another woman, Shireen, who is a four-time Olympian, three-time Alpine skiing Olympian, one-time marathon Olympian. So both summer and winter Olympics is it's just a champion athlete. She was looking to lower her PR from 239 to two, sort of as low as she could go, sort of out down at two. 36 to 35 maybe um which again in this weird world of qualifying would just put her in the best position she's ever been in to, uh, for tokyo to qualify um and that's a that was going to be about 555 pace and i said all right i feel more confident that i could give you more miles again from a pacing perspective you're just trying to set up the athlete to with as much uh smooth miles as you can i mean i'm a very i think we're all aware of watching world marathon majors like elliot kipchoge is sometimes out there pointing to his pacers saying like group up group up or like we need to go faster or you're going too fast um and then eventually the best men in the world finish the race without any pacer because no one can keep up with them so um i was aware that i could just i was trying to be honest with myself and then with them of how many miles i could give um and I said, I'm, pro I'm much more confident I could help out at a slightly sub six minute pace um, than a 540 pace. All the while we knew or we had heard that Des had been working with Charlie Lawrence, who is a friend of hers, who's a young, fast guy. And they had gotten to know each other and trusted each other's pacing together that um, she was taken care of. She was going to be rocking. We heard through the grapevine, it was going to be somewhere between like 545 and 550, 550 pace, um, which would put her well below the world record. And the question on everyone's mind, but no one really wanted to ask was like, is she going to try to break three hours uh, just because it's a barrier that's out there? Um, and so, you know, as a total last minute addition and outsider and not organizer of this event, like it's not my place to be like, hey, Des, what are you thinking today? You know, um, this is her, by her design. Um, so I was asking other people, you know, what have you heard what she's thinking about? Um, and so, yeah, like on the morning, um, we all headed out of Eugene and went down to this. It's an old rail trail. Um, there's a railroad tracks that have been torn up and they've paved over like a very smooth path and it was you know you never know what it would have been like with a different athlete or a different agent setting it up but with des and uh josh cox it just like it had a very laid back but serious but like down you know 
they're there to do business type of um, added atmosphere. And after not having gone to a race in a year, it was just amazing. We all had masks on, we'd all been tested, but like to see people from all over the country that I actually have met once or twice and been like, no way, man, good to see you. Or how are you? Um, and because there was only, I think like 10 of us on the line, um, we were able to just park in a parking lot and then get a, you know, 20 minutes to the gun, five minutes to gun, three minutes, please get over to the line. And just, we all deferred to like letting Des find her spot. Um, and then they fired the gun and we, it was fascinating because Adi Nelson and my friend Patrick headed out in the lead because they were trying to break 2.30. And then Des was slightly off their heels because she was trying to go out at slightly slower than um, maybe like eight, eight, seven to 10 seconds a mile slower. Um, and then we were slightly behind her. And that it's so it's one of these situations where there's so few racers that um, it's easy to say, like, run your race and find your pace within a huge pack but when there's only a few runners um it was definitely tempting to just get tugged along by um the people in front of you but um so we all headed out and it was the course was designed to be six and a half miles out and then back for a half marathon and then again for us and then des did two more turns she uh went around the finish went out to a cone that had been carefully measured and then back for the five point whatever that gets to 50k yeah wow what an event and and i think you you probably just felt amazing being able to participate in it after all this time not running a marathon not knowing when your next race was going to be it sounds sounds really awesome and you know i have experience running one sub maximal marathon and it was a, a double out and back course that 6.55 miles i think it works out to be and uh did, did you find the type of course boring at all or was it something where you were really able to lock in almost like a track race to a certain number of laps and a rhythm and that great pacing that comes with that kind of you know very uh, a, a course that you just know exactly what to expect. Well, one thing I would just say is like, it was sub maximal. So it's a different part of your mind, but I was blown away remembering in the moment, like, Oh yeah, this is not easy. Um, and not, not that I thought it would be easy to run slightly sub six minute pace for a marathon, but, um, more the like, your body feels weird. And so then your mind wants to freak out like six miles in. Um, and so to just, it had been a while since I'd gone through those, that roller coaster of your, the first few miles as you're warming up being harder than you think they should be thinking like, I don't know what this is going to look like. And that's sort of true. It's definitely true when I'm running a maximal marathon, I think this is okay. But, um, and then you reach a point where your body really does hit a rhythm and you, have dialed in the sugar levels and your body sort of settles in and it almost feels like you're walking. You're like, wow, this is so smooth. Um, and then of course, like effort sort of ramps up. I would say the course though, it was interesting, you know, the way that rail trails are built, they're smoothing the land and trying to make it as smooth as possible for a locomotive to go up it. But we actually gained something like 60 feet in the later three, miles of the first lap of the loop so i mean it felt when it's that smooth that feels like a real uphill and experiencing it mile five six i thought okay this is okay um let's make sure we're not over we're definitely not going fast like if anything let's give back a few seconds because we're about to go around a cone and come back down it um so we could we could get those seconds back let's not rev too hard um and then I was aware that that meant we were going to hit those same miles at about 17, which is a really tough spot to be going uphill. It's always hard to be going uphill in a marathon, but it's more mentally when, when we came back to it, I was prepared for it. And I was yelling to Shireen who we were leading saying like, it's okay if this hurts right now. It's okay. like, this is hard. It's very gradual uphill, but like, don't freak out that it's too early for this to be hard because we're going to come back down it again. Um, and it was beautiful. I mean, the, my friends were making fun of me. I actually kept 
without meaning to, I kept a stocking cap on the entire time. I like to run with a hat um, and then throw it off if I'm getting too warm. And I never got too hot to, so it was like perfect weather. And then it was a little sneaky uphill, downhill. It was those, we had those moments where someone's like, use this downhill. And you're like, I thought we were going uphill. Like, it's like, um, so unless you're, I found unless I'm running like on, you know, the ocean where it's like pretty darn flat, um, you can definitely get into some mental, uh, tricks where you think, wait a second, is this supposed to be easy or hard? Um, and so that became really important in terms of pacing. Cause I mean, the closest I've run to a flat marathon was Chicago years ago. And I thought it was rather hard because you're using the same muscles over and over. You're not kind of like changing your stride. You're not, you have ne- you never have an excuse of, okay, I'll, sl- I'll settle in. We're going up this hill and then I'll use the up- downhill. It's just, you're like redlining your heart rate and your stride for as long as possible. Um, so we were definitely trying to, uh, talk through that as pacers saying like, okay, we're going uphill. Like let's find a smooth rhythm. Okay. We're going downhill. Try to s- switch up the stride. Um, even if it was very gradual. Um, but sure enough, like if you look at a graph of Dez's race on Strava, it looks like these two peaks you go up because it was so smooth that relative on the graph, it looks like she went way uphill and then way downhill. So it was, um, it's the type of thing that would for, if you and I were meeting up for a run, we'd be like, Oh, that that's a great place to meet. It's super smooth. But when you're working with athletes who are trying to run exactly at their maximum for as long as possible, it starts, you start to notice the differences. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's so, uh, interesting that in, especially the marathon distance, there are so many opportunities for the race to play games with your head, whether it's the double out and back, whether it's those minor little, you know, elevation changes in the race. And, and I felt exactly the same thing when I ran my Submaximal marathon. I think I ran about 251, 252. And, and my goal was to simply qualify for Boston by over 10 minutes. And, and I accomplished the goal. And I thought, oh, it'd be pretty easy. And you know what? It was not very easy because I got, you know, about five miles in and you're like, okay, I'm not really fresh anymore. And I thought I would be fresh for a lot longer. And so, yeah, it's one of those really interesting things where, you know, I always tell runners, if you're going to do a tune-up race, if you're going to do one of these things, you know, en route to your A race, your goal race, let's just race it. It's not going to be that much easier if you try to do it at 90 or 95%, uh, especially the longer races too. Uh, Peter, I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about pacing, particularly for a professional runner. Uh, do you know Shireen? Now, I'm probably going to mispronounce her last name, so apologies to Shireen, but Shireen Najim. Uh, do you know her at all before committing to the race? Nope. Um, I met her the day before, and her and her husband were very gracious. Uh, they were appreciative that myself and Jared Carson, my teammate, were there. Jared had originally planned to be there because he so Shireen is coached by Ryan Hall um former pro runner and as part of their run free training and he so she had been living in Flagstaff working closely with him and then he had been looking for someone who he trusted to you know be able to walk that line and really deliver exactly the race that she was ready to achieve um and so Jared had communicated with her a little bit. Um, we had obviously both like kind of looked up her results and were aware of like what she had been up to. Um, and we're following along briefly at what she had done recently. Um, but then really tried to both understand what race plan she wanted. Um, and that's something that I, I kind of knew intuitively, but at the same time I revisited with Ryan, hall that morning i said okay so you know we're not gonna go ahead of her just stay on pace and drop her if she's falling off but how do you want to manage this and he said yeah like he would be there on a bike behind um he was playing music it was we were out in this like very picturesque over by a lake um by some farm fields and then at some point he turned on her playlist just blasting you know dance music and just different songs that she loves um but the reality was she was, I was blown away. She was close to like an auditory 
breathing rate fairly early on, which meant that she wasn't just going to be chatting with us about how the pace was doing for her. Um, so she was, she was working early on and she was willing to commit to that, um, which is not always the case for people who, um, you know, are going for a marathon PR. She was ready to really walk that line from early on. Um, Ryan discussed with us, okay, you know, there are ebbs and flows in a marathon. And if she goes through a rough mile, let's try to stay together as a pack. And then let's try to revisit, can we get back on pace? Um, and that was sort of thinking through, if anything, if there was stomach trouble or if there was, you know, like I've been on runs where like a bug goes in your mouth and then you're coughing and it's not that you can't hold the pace, but you need to take a moment to step back. Um, I said to her several times, so there were fluid tables every three miles and we would remind her because it's really hard to take fluids. I've like taking fluids when you're running your absolute maximum turns out is quite different. Um, and something I had had to practice in the last couple of years, like, okay, taking a cup when you're first getting into the sport is like, wow, this is wild. And then when you really start to feel like you're sprinting the entire time, it's something you have to consciously walk through the steps of slowing your breathing. Um, you know, I said, I would say to her, like, if we give back a couple seconds this mile in order for you to get the calories, that's totally worth it because we still have 10 miles to go and that will pay dividends. So we would try to re remind her things she already knew, um, but to help, I was thinking, uh, keep her mind calm. Um, and she ended up being incredibly steady. Um, Jared and I were able to run side by side and she tucked in right behind us. And all the while, there is a few athletes out ahead, and then you would go around these cones, and people would come back towards you. So we would, you know, be cheering for uh, each other. And Shireen was working hard; she was not doing the cheering. Um, Des, being Des, she would come by and be like, "Looking great, looking strong." <laughs> and you think like Des is running five forty pace right now? Is it, but is she actually even working that hard? And her and Charlie both had, you know, like colored sunglasses on and they just looked like they were grinding like flying along um and then all the while nick thompson um who's a writer and a runner um in his mid-40s he had decided to try to go for the 45 year old 50k uh, american record and so he um which would put him slightly sub six minute pace so he had said to us oh i'll come out with you guys if you're going out at 555 That'll be right in my zone. Well, sure enough, we wanted to run 555s, maybe 552. Um, and so the difference there started to be real. And he dropped off behind us. He said, like, um, he didn't say anything, but it became clear he didn't need to run, say, eight seconds per mile faster than he needed to. Um, but then sure enough, he was like a metronome. So in a kind of a good series of events at about mile 20, 21, he came flying by us as uh, Shireen started to slow slightly. We were all working together and he continued his slightly sub six minute pace, um, which was awesome. Cause then he got ahead of us. It gave us someone to see in the horizon and, you know, like someone to focus on. Um, and he was just moving along. And so then we were able to walk that line of, you know, trying to navigate how, if you're going downhill, there's always the thing of like the, quote unquote, banking time, like, oh, I'll just bank a little time. I'll just get a little ahead and I can always use that later, um, which my buddies, marathoning buddies and I always joke, like, that's not a thing. Like, you might get ahead of schedule, but you don't get to sort of pull those pennies out of your purse later and then say, like, I'd like to use these now because your hamstrings don't know the difference. <laughs> like, if you've blown your quads or your hamstrings or your sugar levels, like, you are going to decline quickly and you're going to give back oftentimes more than you saved up early on um so we we would try to walk that line of if it was slightly downhill can you make it still a 555 but a very an easier one you know where your heart rate is even lower and it's more at ease um we got a few splits early on that were under pace and then we had a few that were on pace but um uphill and on pace but downhill so it was definitely um it was really intense because I realized I had cheered on a lot of marathons from the sidelines where you're going like, Hey, Jason. And you see you go by and you, you cheer for you and you think, how's he doing? He looks okay. You know, you're just trying to gauge. And I'd run a lot of marathons um, where I was absorbed by my own race, but I'd never sort of sat in the seat next to someone working that hard for that long. And 
you still don't know exactly how they're feeling. And if they're working that hard, they're not talking to you about how they're feeling. And so I was concerned. I was like, she is working hard and we are at mile seven. Um, I think she's tough from everything I know about her, but this is going to be a sight to see if she's able to work this hard for that long and not fold. Um, and so that was what was so mind blowing was to just, if you say a woman, you know, cuts three minutes off her time, goes from 239 to 236, you'd be like, that's wonderful. But then to be present in every step of it and just witness like how tough she got. Um, I think a lot of marathoners who are especially like newer to the sport, they really beat themselves up when they slow down a little bit in the final miles. I've had a lot of friends say like, oh, my last couple miles at Boston were a little slower. I, I'm like disappointed. Um, and I'm like, oh, like, yes, we always wish we could go faster in the final 5k or 10k but go look at some of the best runners in the world it's a often more t- times about like slowing down slightly rather than slowing down dramatically and so um i, I eventually went into my strava data and saw um that shireen had slowed slightly in the final miles but that's because she had you know went out with a big goal in mind and then had walked that line delicately enough that she handed back some seconds but it, i i see that as a the necessary risk of trying to run 235 maybe you know if, if for some reason it's possible you want to leave that door open um and there's a big difference between slowing a minute and slowing say five minutes ten minutes um i think it's a totally acceptable calculated risk yeah that's a good point and and i talk with a lot of marathoners about exactly that thing where slowing down over the last five miles or six miles, last 10K of a marathon isn't necessarily a bad thing just because of the nature of the race and how challenging it is and the fact that, you know, you're running low on fuel. And it's more about slowing down just enough or or just a little bit so that you can still reach your goal. Because I think, you know, the only people who can really negative split a marathon are elite runners who have been born with genetic tools that we simply don't have. Maybe you have some of those tools, Peter. But, you know, when you talk about banking time early in a race, I always like to say, oh, you can do that, but you're going to be forced to withdraw that extra time in the final 10K with interest. And you don't want to do that. One thing I'm really curious about is, you know, how difficult it was to pace someone who didn't have a real formal time goal. You know, it was kind of like, let's see how fast we can run. And so, you know, whether or not she ran 238, maybe a minute faster than her PR or 235, you know, that three minutes, especially since it's it's in uncharted territory, right? It's PR territory for her. What was it like to pace someone with those kinds of goals? Were you constantly readjusting during the race, speeding up, slowing down based on where she was at? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a testament to her own training and her coach, Ryan Hall, um, having really, I think, I often say to marathoners, going into a race, you're going to want to be really honest with yourself about um, what you think you're capable of because that's going to set you up better for a result than if you say like, oh, I'd love to break 240. You know, I've always wanted to break 240. I'm going to just go try to break 240. Um, and I, so when someone says that to me, I say like, okay, can you talk to me about the workouts you've done that lead to your confidence that that's attainable? Um, they had done enough training and again they were at altitude so there's a translation between altitude and sea level i didn't again because i was only 21 hours notice uh have much time to question and i certainly didn't want to come off as though i was you know disagreeing um but i got the sense that they had landed on that as a pace that they felt was like inspiringly difficult inspiringly hard it was going to set her up for something that she was fired up to try for. Um, and then it was a good thing that Jared and I are good friends and teammates because as two pacers, there's times where, because we could speak um, at our level of effort, we were kind of hollering at each other, like, hey, ease off, like, or like, let's make this next one another 554, but an easy one as opposed to a 550. Um, and so there was a lot of communication in that regard. And then I could tell 
Ryan Hall was on a bike behind us and he would say, okay, okay. That was a, you know, that was a good one, but it was a 552, like, like, you know, and you could just tell more from the tone than even the words that he was saying, like, don't overcook right now because we still have a long way to go. Um, and then, I mean, we were in the car on the way home. I can hear him right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly and he's i can hear blessed. ryan hall I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that sort of california accent sort of like yeah uh-huh um and so we would get that feedback and then also you know it's such a small event that both women at the marathon distance ran well des you know broke the world record she crushed it um and I was realizing on the ride home, like these things don't always go that well. Um, It's much easier for, you know, a few of the athletes to run well, a few to totally blow up when you're going for stuff like that, than for everyone to run well. So it's also easy to say like, oh, we navigated that line perfectly. Uh, But if you did it, did the same thing five times, I'm not sure how many times it always works out so well, as well as it did. Um, Because, yeah, we, we had it out at a pace. Um, Adi Nelson was ahead of us. She ran through a rough patch and was coming back to us. And we thought, oh, maybe we'll be able to catch her. And then she's just like such a badass that she kind of looked back and was like, I will not be caught today. And she um, she ground to the finish, like just took off on us, um, which was fun because it it was racing. You know, it was like we were yelling to Shereen, like, you can catch Adi. Like, we got to race. Now is the time to race. Um and then I was looking at Adi thinking, oh, she's not going to get caught. Like, she's just absolutely, she's not having her perfect day that she was hoping for. She ended up running 234, so off of that auto qualifier. But still, she was able to rally in a way that not a lot of athletes can. But that's when you realize, like, oh, yeah, we're hanging out with, you know, professional runners. We're hanging out with world-class athletes who find a way even to ratchet down to that B-level goal. Or whether it's a C-level goal, they, they keep it at that level. Um, and that's just like, it's awesome to see and it's fun to see because it's, uh, those are rare skills and you can only really appreciate them in those moments where you see like, Oh, it would be easy to drop out right now. Or it'd be easy to start running a minute slower per mile. If the hard thing to do is say like, I'm going to give myself one click of the dial and then stay there. I think it's a real Testament to how finely tuned these athletes are because you know, you're talking about Ryan Hall saying, all right, let's ease up on that 552 mile. Let, let's instead do an easy 554. And, and most people listening to this is like, what are you guys talking about? You're talking about two seconds. It, what's the difference between a hard 552 and a easy 554? And, and it really is just such a great example of these world-class athletes being so dialed into their fitness just being so finely tuned that minute changes in pace are possible. And they're able to feel that and to really dial it in and know exactly what an easy 554 feels like and how a 552 might be cooking it. And, you know, to most runners, that just seems, you know, like we're, we're splitting hairs here, but it, it is such an amazing testament to their, their ability. One thing that I would love to talk a little bit more about, Peter, was you mentioned you know, that you've never had such a front row seat to someone else's personal best, someone else's suffering. And I, I would love to talk a little bit more about that experience for you. I would love to know, you know, do pro runners suffer a little bit differently than the rest of us do when we're out there in the final five miles of a marathon? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I was just, again, I've mentioned, Shireen was willing to run at a rate where her level of exertion and her respiratory volume was high from early on, like uh, let's say a 10 K in. So you have 20 miles to go. And I've mentioned to other people that having run um, multiple races with the pack, trying to qualify for the Olympic trials, um, there's this awesome video from the 2019 CIM where I'm in the middle of a pack of like a hundred guys trying to run 219. And it, when you're in that pack, 
you can tell, okay, this guy is really fit because he's not breathing. Um, and this guy to my left is clearly working too hard. We're at mile 11 and it's just, I don't think he's starting to like, his shoulders are starting to roll. Like, you know, it, if that's his stride, fine, but it looks as though he's fatiguing. Um, and then you, it's easy to kind of like map, um, sort of in hindsight, like, oh, he was working hard and he slowed versus, you know, this person looked great and they succeeded and sped up. Um, but it really, there are people who are more experienced and more able to get into that zone of really working hard and also settle on, this is okay. Like I'm all right. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And if I slow two seconds a mile, that's still okay. I'm not going to essentially snap my focus and start running 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 seconds a mile slower. Um, and so what I witnessed being front row with Shireen was she was willing and able to start working hard and stay at that rate uh, for you know almost two hours. And it was really impressive. Um, there was times when Jared and I would, in the last four or so miles, would kind of like almost snap that rubber band of a pacer to an athlete and get a little bit ahead. And I thought, uh, and so we would quickly communicate like, okay, um, group up again. Um, but also I thought like at any moment she could just eject out of the back of this pack because that's what happens in marathoning. You know, people suddenly have a calf cramp and they need to walk for a second or, uh, you see it all the time in like, if you're cheering on the sidelines of a major marathon, you see the whole pack and then you see someone, you know, eight feet back and you think like, why would they, they wouldn't be there unless they had to be. Um, and so we were working together and we were throttling. Um, to, we were moving at her pace, you know, but we were also trying to be literally like a rabbit and just be far enough ahead to say like, this is where you want to be, be right in this pocket. Um, and what was funny after the fact we had the coach on the bike, two pacers and we sort of had a conversation afterwards where we realized in the last three miles there was not a lot of sound there was some music playing but there was you know no cr fans or crowds cheering and uh, you're not going you know by Fenway Park um so we we're yelling at her you know like we gotta go now we gotta go um like eyes up look you know and we were laughing at each other after that everyone's slightly motivated by different things and so Ryan Hall had said with when we turned the corner, the cone at 20 miles that oh, only 10 K to go. And I thought like only 10 K to go of a marathon. Yeah. They, that's when it's going to get suspenseful. That's when it's actually going to get hard. Or they said when we got inside of two miles, um, you know, there was a marker that said 38 kilometers and someone yelled out like only 4 K to go. And for me, my mind, that's like the worst way to frame you know, 2000 meters or so that was four, four thousand. but it, yeah, at 40 K there was, um, if you said 2000 meters to go, like that's like dropping a pile of bricks on my head. Whereas I have found that what gets me through those final miles is saying like, I'm going to run to that tree. Then I'm going to run to that break in the sidewalk. Then I'm going to run to the, like, you know, there's an intersection where the paint line stops. I'm just going to try to get to that. Um, and, I can actually, as I'm saying this, like picture the final three miles of running into Sacramento um, and just like trying to break it down so, so much that I make it very small increments and I just do it again and again. But whereas my friend Jared said like, that was the worst for me when you said like, you know, Shireen, let's run, a, run this a hundred meters at a time. He's like, I hate that. It, like I get overwhelmed. Um, and he's like, I think of it as five laps of the track with 2000 or 2000 meters. I can do this. Um, so everyone is motivated slightly differently. And unfortunately I didn't know, I don't know Shereen well enough to know exactly how her mind works. Um, but we were all just offering like any tool we could to keep her moving. And she was slowing just incrementally, but was still hanging on really tight. And it was funny because I, I more heard her for two and a half hours. I didn't see her because I was a step ahead. Um, so when Jared and I, with 200 meters to go, faded left and right to let her finish alone, um, 
I finally got to see this like stride that was still grinding and like, you know, a kick, a marathon kick still looks like you're barely, um, really off the ground, but you're like, you're making it work and you're moving. Oh, I love it. I love it. Let, let's talk a little bit about the last mile of the race and the finish of the race. So you said you kind of pulled off to the side. There's 200 meters or so left to the finish. Did you end up just going off to the side and not finishing or did you actually cross the finish line and finish the race yourself? Yeah. So we coming into the final miles, um, we knew that Des was going to be coming back our direction. Um, and then we were like, okay, there she is, because we knew she was probably going to split closer to 230, 231, uh, which went. And then sure enough, Des being Des, she had already run a 231 and she comes back by us and is like, looking strong, looking great. So she has like four miles to go. And then we were yelling to Shireen, we're playing music, we're saying like, starting to yell out, like, you got to finish this, you know, you've we're on an amazing race and this is like the final little bit you don't you're trying to sort of muster up anything to motivate someone to say like don't look back at this final mile with any regret really squeeze every last second out um and then the way we had registered so we came around the finish um kind of hilariously they had set it up as a marathon and a 50k and they said do you want to run a 50k? And I had said before the race, like, well, my primary goal 1A is to help Shireen run her marathon. And then I suppose if technically there's for some, I'm, I'm so inspired, I, I guess I could go back out and run five more miles. Um, and so I registered for the 50k, um, which was only funny because then in the results, it says I DNF'd at the marathon. Um, it gives me a marathon split, but it's that it tech, technically lists me as a did not finish. Um, and so people are like, oh, Veronica, come on, like <laughs> give it, try harder. Um, but it was only, I guess I thought technically you can't re- register for a marathon and then go run the 50 K and, um, it wouldn't even be set up to have you like that. So, um, when we finished Josh Cox, does his agent was standing there. He's like, you guys want to go get a 50 K you go hit a 50 K if you want one. And we're like, we're pretty good. We were just part of like a very intense two and a half hours, two hours and 36 minutes of success. You know, you got to sometimes know when enough is enough. And just to say like, today was a good day. Um, and I had thought about, you know, um, let's say for, I don't know real, really the rules, but let's say Des needed another finisher, uh, for her race to be official. Like I would have been, I think uh, in that mind of like, I'll do anything to help. Um, so I was ready to be told like Des needs help or Nick Thompson had actually gotten ahead of us at this point. such so, so much so that I couldn't even see him anymore. Um, but at one point I had thought, you know, if, if I could continue on for even a little bit and help Nick, um, Nick on, but at that point I couldn't help him. So we had, we reached the finish line, you know, high fived and just considered it a successful day. Shireen was exhausted, but really overjoyed. Um, cause she's run a bunch of marathons and this is three and a half minutes faster than she'd run. Um, so, you know, it was pretty awesome to just be there for that moment where she's happy, you know, which is just not, it's so easy to, in hindsight of a successful marathon, be like, Oh, of course it was going to go great today. <laughs> Um, so it's helpful sometimes at a major marathon, you can really appreciate like these people are dejected. These people are, you know, just almost comatose and these people are crying out of happiness. Uh, you see the whole range of emotion, but to be at a small event and have everyone be like, that was pretty great. You're like, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty incredible. That's one of the things I love about big marathons too, is that the range of such extreme emotions is so wide and you're able to see people at their worst, people at their best, and every point in between. And it's just this kind of amazing tapestry of human achievement and failure all at once. And and I think there's something special about that. Now, Peter, come on, you could have jogged 4.9 extra miles, and you could have run a pretty good 50k. Have you ever run a 50k before? I've run a trail 50k. I'd have to go look up. It's in the Forest Park in Portland, Oregon. Um, this would have been a huge PR, right? It would have been a huge PR. Um, it was, yeah, it was, 
it, there was definitely a moment where the Pacers, we all looked at each other like, you know, that thing where you're like, if you say we should do it, maybe you're going to attract me, but I don't really want to do it. And like, I'll, can we all hold hands and say we're not going to do this? Um, and so it felt really good to say like, that was a success. Let's not, you know, there's that thing of like jumpers, um, like high jumpers and pole vaulters. The worst part of their sport is they almost always end in failure. Like they always move the bar up because maybe today's the day where they could, um, and as runners, we do that a little bit every time, almost always, like when you run your PR, you think, well, like I could have gone faster that day. Um, so it felt really good to say this was a success. We achieved our goal. Let's not just drive ourselves into the ground out of sheer stubbornness um, and say, that's what like, now I know I'm done. Um, and so, yeah, it was uh, it was a slightly different mindset to say like, we're going to end this on a happy note. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe a good mindset to have too. Now, I know it's been a while since I've had you here on the podcast. I had you back in, I think it was about two years ago, May of 2019. We talked about your quest to qualify for the Olympic trials with a 219 marathon time. I think at the time you had run 219.40 and then you had improved that to 219.03, which... <laughs> is probably one of the most frustrating marathon times to have as a male U.S. marathoner. Uh, but Peter, I'm curious, did this experience that you have either potentially rekindle your passion for the marathon after you know the pandemic year of not racing or maybe open your eyes to the, the ultra world? Are we going to see you know the 50K, 100K, 100 miler Peter Bronca in the future? It's a great question. I... Uh... Because I, yeah, I had dialed in my marathoning so closely. I actually ran three 219s in a row. So I, and then year a year passes. I think like a lot of us, the COVID 2020, you start to feel like, am I still the same person 2019? Like, can I do that still? Um, so it was actually more of a nice re-entry into like, okay, marathon's never easy. Don't expect it to be, even if it's sub-maximal, um, it's going to be hard and that's okay. That's all part of it. Um, I still have aspirations to run faster in the marathon. Um, I'm a glutton for punishment and I just think um, there's more fun to be had out there. Um, in terms of 50K and trail running, um, like that's stuff I like to do. Sometimes I get a little bit uh, ahead of myself and I'm like, oh, I want to do these 50k trail races and i also want to run some track meets and then i also want to do this marathon and so um my teammates are pretty good at saying like easy easy like let's not try to do it all i do have a one teammate who's six run two successful 50 milers um and i like to say it's like a explorer who went out ahead of the party and came back kind of mauled like very depleted and it was like, I don't know about that. Um, it's like he got beat up by a bear and like he still did. He won a 50 miler in on the M Mount Hood National Forest. But like when he tells you stories about it, you don't think like, oh, gosh, I want to sign up for one of those. You think, wait, then you had four hours of suffering left. And he's like, yeah. And then I spent four hours terrified I was going to get caught by the second place guy. And I'm like, that sounds horrible. Um, so it's only to say that I would. I definitely plan to run some longer races in the future, but um, I'm I'm still holding off. Um, it's also like I still hold, I still have aspirations in this marathon game, and I'm like I know that you can run a 50 miler and uh, 50k and come back. Um, but I'm I turned 40 this summer, and I kind of feel like my biggest blind spot is the track or is speed. Um, and so I've been trying to look at that blind spot more closely rather than lean into the longer, longer stuff. That's one of the more exciting things about running though, just having all these goals. And, and like you said, there's more fun to be had. And, and that is a great mindset to have. There's more fun to be had. Now, Peter, we are going to be seeing each other in a couple months. Are you going to be in like crazy 5K shape? I just want to know how embarrassed I'm going to be when we go for a run together. Well, I think so. Yeah, you're talking about in August, um, first weekend of August, we're getting together for the Endeavor Run Retreat, which I am so excited about. Um, early August, I will 
be, I think, hopefully not too fatigued. Um, I'm running Boston in October. And so I will summertime. I'm actually a little scared. I mean, I should probably check in with someone like yourself who has a lot of experience with um, experts on how to train in the heat and train in the summer. I've typically run CIM in December. So you kind of get to train through the fall or Boston in the spring. So you train through the winter. Um, and an October Boston, I'm excited about, but also a little terrified because that means that my teammates and I are going to need to do some work in August. And I always, I follow these people on Strava friends and I'm like, oh man, that, that long run looked painful. You know, they're on the East coast in the humidity or they're like down in Florida and just saying like, I have no idea what that long run equated to. Um, my, so I'll be joining you at altitude. So you'll have that on me. Um, and then I'll hopefully in early August be, um, it'll be the perfect time to convene and sort of like revisit goals and revisit the best practices and principles of running. Um, because I'll be about maybe 10 weeks out from Boston and excited to put in some good running, but also put in some good, like revisiting of what leads to success. Well, that's very exciting. And, and I hope to have every advantage on you, <laughs> whether it's the altitude, whether you are, you know, in your third hundred mile week, I'm going to be tapering for the Endeavor Run camp just so that I seem a lot more in shape than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Freddie Fresh Legs over here. You'll just be like, woohoo. Yeah. And then I'll just say that, oh, I, I feel like this all the time. I'm always yeah, yeah. running this quick. Although I, I went to the one time I, I should say, the one time I went to Magnolia Road with my college teammates, um, they, this was just a few years ago. So they were not particularly fit. I was coming off some of the best fitness of my life. And we went up to run mags as it's called. And we were just so excited to see it for the first time. And so I'm jogging along with them and they're like, Oh, Bronca, this is horrible. Like you're so much fitter than us. This is probably easy for you. And I was like, well, you know, it's okay. I'm not, we'll see. And then I thought, you know what I would love is to sprint ahead and grab a couple photos of all of us running uh, or of them running. And sure enough, I, I ran like a hundred meters fast to get ahead and like almost fell over. So it's like no joke navigating some of that altitude when you're not used to it. Um, so I'll, I'll come in with deep respect for the area. <laughs> well, we shouldn't scare our listeners too much. We're going to be in Boulder for the Endeavor Run Retreat in August. And Boulder isn't super high in altitude. I think it's about 5,500 feet. It has a few hundred feet on Denver. But, you know, maybe we'll go up into the, the front range a little bit for some of those epic runs. And, and that'll certainly be a little bit higher in altitude. But I'm so excited. This This seems to me like and just an amazing opportunity to kickstart the fall racing season. I'm just feeling very optimistic about races actually being held and, and people being vaccinated. And my God, we're going to be able to, to do some racing this fall. And I think having a retreat in August is such a good opportunity to, you know, revisit your goals, to get your head on straight for that upcoming season. So I hope anyone listening is able to join us and I'll have more details about Endeavor Run in the show notes. Um, but Peter, thanks so much for for hanging out with us for a while, for chatting about this amazing experience that you had, pacing pro runners, being there for Des Linden's world record 50K. It just seems like an awesome opportunity for any huge fan of the sport. And I really appreciate the kind of behind the scenes look into what went down on that day. So thanks, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much. It was awesome. Um, happy to share and excited to connect soon. All right. Take care, Peter. And that's it, everyone. I always enjoy chatting with Peter, and this episode gives you new insight into the pacing and racing world of elite athletes. Forward this episode to your running club or team if you think they would enjoy it as well. And one more reminder that you can see Peter, myself, author Matt Fitzgerald, and many others at the Endeavor Run Retreat this August in Boulder, Colorado. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save $100 on your registration at EndeavorRun.com, and I so look forward to seeing you this summer. Finally, our sponsor Elemental Labs has some exciting news to share. They've released their first new flavor of 2021, their most requested flavor, watermelon salt. 
Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll notice a story I published recently of the box that they sent me with one of these large ice cube trays. I'm so excited to freeze up some watermelon salt water and use that in a cocktail soon. I'll keep you updated on that, and I'd love for you to let me know if you try it. Now, if you're not familiar with this company, I love them. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks that doesn't have any sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors, and I'm partial to the citrus salt flavor, which I honestly can't get enough of. It's tasty and delicious and something that I really enjoy when I do any running more than about 45 minutes. And for those athletes running five or more days per week, training for longer events, or outside in the summer heat, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm very encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and other pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning and check out their new watermelon flavor to get your hydration optimized for the upcoming summer season. Thank you all for being here. I so appreciate the reviews of the show. Many of you have left recently. They are surprisingly important and help other runners discover us. So if you haven't yet, I would love a review in Apple Music. Thank you again, and we'll be in touch soon. 